Hi, this is Jean Nathan. It is Crosstown Conversations. And um, we, as always, have some very interesting and informative guests. Um, so I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, some of them are fun and some of them have just really important information to share. We've done about, I don't know, close to 3,000 interviews now over the years. And I think um, people tend to appreciate the, the information they're getting from us. So here goes for today. I am here with one of my um, favorite professionals in the city of New Orleans and uh, persons, I might, I might add, Aaron Chang, and his associate, Jihad Doucette. And Doucette is such a big New Orleans name. I suppose you're part of that big New Orleans family, right? It is. My dad always said that if it's spelled the same, then they're probably related to me. So. Hey, if it's not spelled the same, you're probably related because exactly. there's no time, right? <laughs> exactly. So, um, these guys are associated with something called the Civic Studio. And um, it's a very interesting organization. And he, it has evolved out of um, a, another um, framing that was a little different. And I'm going to let Aaron um, address uh, what it was and what it is, uh, essentially. But it's, it's, um, it, it definitely is a group of people that are doing a very important thinking and doing about our city and its future. So with that, Aaron, I invite you to um, describe um, Civic Studio and how it has evolved. Sure, I'm at the moment, I'm at the Blue House, which is a shared workspace in Central City and Civic Studio really emerges out of that. So for the last six years, I've been part of a group of people from various disciplines um, coming together to share this space. And in this context, we have basic resources, uh, a black and white printer, we have a library. Uh, and during that time, we also established a series of programs um, like Thursday morning copies and speakers, uh, design various design projects and design workshops, um, all tied into a set of values that are uh, about um, learning and exploration about challenging injustice, um, about being good neighbors, and, uh, and about collaboration and working with others. And um, in that time, we've kind of shifted uh, from that focus on sharing space to um, thinking more and more about how um, the collective of people could be the basis for a new kind of business. And, uh, and so, Jihad and I are connected through some of the projects we've worked on together over the years, um, sharing space here in Central City and the different programs that we're part of, but also now as collaborators and business partners in forming Civic Studio. And so given uh, with COVID, it's been really hard to, uh, co-working is not a good business um, during COVID. And, uh, and so we've had basically no revenue over the past, since March um, from co-working. And so it's been a really good push um, because of that to, to kind of force us to move much more quickly and thinking about the strengths of this collaborative and how we can function as a business that funds itself through projects and programs rather than relying on the, the, the revenues of um, coworkers or freelancers and businesses and nonprofits um, helping to pay, pay rent. So it's a real shift in and model, and we're also shifting from a LLC run structure to a worker-owned cooperative structure. And we're excited about what that means in terms of how equity is distributed across organization and what it means for each person in the co-op to be a leader, a decision maker, and, and business partner. Very interesting. Um, before um, we dive a little deeper into uh, what that construct means and um, maybe some of the models that you studied as you developed that's, uh, this concept. Um, let's talk just a little bit about the kind of programs and projects that you all are working on or in, or, and or um, envision uh, working on. So either one of you, Jihad? Sure, yeah. And so uh, we, we take on projects based on our mission and our values and, and um, we really want to create equitable systems um, for the community that we live in. And so um, a lot of the work that we 
work with uh, we we work with a lot of nonprofits um, and a lot of um, to create you know an equitable system. We we want to work with a lot of people that um, that are starting up maybe, but that are doing good work um, and people that are um, looking to um, grow grow the community and and add something to the community. And so. Um, yeah, the, a lot of the projects that we're taking on right now range from um, urban planning. So we've done um, mixed media, which some people might be familiar with, which was a, a um, it, it's range and it's changed every time. But um, the core of it being working with an artist, um, working with artists to um, create a new perspective on something in the city. Um, and so, um, for instance, uh, the sewage and water board system. We took some photos of that and and gave people an insight into something that they typically wouldn't see, but is underlying throughout the entire city and is super important, critical in this bowl of the city that we live in. And so we, the projects might span from something like that to um, architectural planning, um, to design work, to um, community outreach. We, we have a really diverse team in terms of background and, um, and, and just where people have coming, are coming from in terms of work and um, work and who they are and where they're coming from. So in the course of um, the work I've done with um, Aaron, and it, it doesn't span that many uh, projects, but we first met when somebody advised when we were getting ready at the Creative Alliance of New Orleans to do a Kickstarter that we needed to talk to Aaron. And I already uh, was on to uh, him because of his work with the playground um, in, shall I say the Ninth Ward? Is that the correct uh, geographic base? Central City, actually. Didn't you do one in the night? It was only in Central City? Okay. Yeah. Um, so uh, he was just, generous in his help and resulted in us doubling our expectations. We looked for about $8,000 and through the framework that uh, Aaron provided, we raised $16,000. So um, needless to say, I gained a lot of respect for Aaron at that moment. But since then in working with him on our current project that we've been uh, working on, which is a strategic plan for the cultural economy of the city, um, I've gotten to know him uh, uh, on another level. And um, he's somebody who uh, really um, is very clear headed about structuring the thinking about a, a, a project and a process. So um, Aaron, let me throw it to you and ask, um, how would you describe the way that you and your group with Jihad and others um, work on a project and how you shape your intentions and your uh, work process and your outcome? Yeah, I uh, appreciate that question. I think um, I think a few, a couple of years ago, one of our, our Blue House managers, uh, Lilith Winkler Shore, led this effort to ask this question through, um, through a kind of engagement activity, like what, what is your biggest idea? What is your most radical idea? And and I, I think back to that a lot because our, our goal in working with ourselves um, and the projects that we um, develop and, and, and create internally, as well as the ways in which we work with our partners, organizational partners or business partners, is to help, um, help people figure out how to work on their biggest ideas. And the ways in which we do that are um, being able to contextualize an, an, an effort. So whether it's a fundraising campaign or a media strategy, it's how does this fit into the larger ecosystem of, um, of uh, players and activities, um, really helping uh, working with our partners to understand um, what they're trying to accomplish and which modes, um, which mediums make the most sense and, and which kinds of publics are you trying to reach. And because we're a co-op and because we have within the co-op uh, a range of capacities. So Jihad is a fantastic graphic designer. I work in urban design and planning and have skills in writing and, um, and, 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 and different forms of 
uh, kind of strategic thinking and planning. We have uh, C. Freedom, who is a videographer and a photographer and artist and musician in her own right. Um, we have uh, folks who are really adept with technology and, 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 and coding. Um, we have landscape designers and people with uh, expertise in ecology and in plants. Because we have such a diversity of skill sets, and not just skill sets, but also perspectives, it means that when we approach a project, when we sit down with a partner, um, we aren't kind of bound by like, okay, Civic Studio is able to do X, Y, and Z. We create plans or we create uh, social media. Um, we have a, a, a real level of comfort with saying, let's follow the idea to where it needs to go. And we have the capacity uh, in-house um, and again, in partnership to achieve that. So the outcome of one effort might be a planning document. Another outcome might be a, a, a 10 minute video. Um, and that having that diversity, the ability to research, to think, to write, um, to represent in um, myriad forms makes it seem far less challenging. That the hope is that for ourselves and for our partners, it makes it seem far less challenging to imagine what, what that dream project might be, what that radical idea, there's so many barriers to, if you're a nonprofit or a public agency or an institution, you have limited staffing. It, it may not be easy for you to pull together a multidisciplinary team with a coder and a graphic designer and a researcher. Like, do you subcontract with a bunch of different people? Do you, um, how, how do you even figure out whom to hire and, and how do you know that that's the right team to pull together? So Civic Studio, what we're able to show with projects like the one that Jihad mentioned, Mixed Media, um, with the Watermap project that we're both working on, we can show like, okay, these complex efforts that require um, interviews, that require photo documentation, that require drawing and graphic design, we've got all that in-house. So we can, we can kind of work with you and, and realize um, those complex um, multi-layered efforts and not be held back by like what um, what, what you think you're capable of, but really um, expand it out into what's possible and what you're really trying to achieve. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, um, you and I have uh, both been attendees on a series of uh, Zoom phone conferences, Zoom conferences over the past months with a number of different nonprofits. And um, I have had uh, uh, myself a little bit of a um, uh, issue with understanding where the exactly these institutional prerogatives uh, hem in how people want to talk about issues and um, on the other hand also inform them. So today's conversation, which was on gender and race, and it was a difficult conversation. I've noticed that of all the meetings of all the subgroups of the creative response team, this is the most difficult for people to talk through, it seems. And so there's lots of awkward pauses in between people talking. And um, I tried to introduce a kind of emotional issue today that was a little bit of a challenge because I was really speaking as a white person and I think everybody on the call realized that. And, um, you know, raising a, a, a question of, of um, kind of the, the interactions that I think are happening and, and maybe need to happen. Um, so I think it's really interesting because your conversation uh, was fairly specific, but in this, in this meeting today, but you have also um, worked hard to try to open up that framing over time. How do you see doing what you do in the city of New Orleans? Because New Orleans, of course, is a very tradition-oriented city. It's, it's both um, treasuring. I always say the, post, the past is not past in New Orleans. It's with us and it's alive. And um, we, we really uh, care about and extend uh, the core um, of our cultural legacy, uh, but here you are pushing away from that. So opening up, not, not, not to uh, uh, not utilize and, and protect and, and enhance, but also to push beyond any kind of past um, framings. Um, how do you feel about doing that in a, in a city that 
again, respects its past so deeply that maybe it's a little bit hard for it sometimes to get away and, and create new. And Jihad, you might want to address this too. Yeah, I, I think that that's like a, a challenge, you know, in New Orleans, especially thinking about the, the systems that we are working within, right? Like we have, um, for instance, the water system and infrastructure that is super old and most people wouldn't even know how old it is. I mean, we're talking like 100, almost 100 years old, right? And so um, there, there's, there's one story that's commonly told in New Orleans and, and what we want to work towards at Civic Studio is changing that one narrative into many um, and creating multiple perspectives on these different issues instead of one. And so, um, you know, that, that starts with informing people. And so a lot of the work that we have been doing recently has been to just make the public aware, right? And so once they're aware, then they can question the structures that we live within. And, and then we can begin to create systems that change those structures, um, these really old structures, right? And then once we create these systems then we can share it with the public and then the public will, um, be able to give feedback on these systems. And, and it's kind of like a, the, the way that we think about it is kind of like a, a, a cycle, right? Like you, you go from the beginning where you question and then you create a, a response to that, you share it out and then we iterate on it. Um, and so in, in such an old, you know, traditional city, um, I think that the, one of the first steps to changing that is changing perspective. And so I think that's why Civic Studio, um, it, it, it's a great team for that because we have so many different perspectives and we have so many different skill sets that we're able to um, attack a problem from a lot of different angles. Uh, I also can't uh, escape the obvious, which is that um, uh, you're a, a younger constituency than I would probably guess most of our architectural and planning companies in the city are. Not that there aren't a lot of young architects and young planners in the city, but the uh, dominant uh, firms are older. Um, and I, I, I think that has to be a very interesting uh, constituency to work with in the context of, again, this, this city that is so tradition oriented. Um, Aaron, how do, how do you um, see that, uh, your relationship with the city from that perspective? Yeah, I think, I think it's, um, I think some of the existing structures that determine who um, who gets to tell the stories that shape our, uh, our kind of collective consciousness of the issues that we should be paying attention to, what shows up in mainstream media, uh, what shows up in museums, what shows up in public art, those uh, really taking a look at um, who are the constituencies, who, what are the demographics that are um, shaping like what we think of as as uh, normal or, or, or what we need to be paying attention to. And so I think this, the space where, um, like Jihad said, the, the spaces where we're working, um, if we really embrace that place of curiosity and learning, um, then it becomes a different conversation. So I think um, our, our relationship to civic issues isn't that we know better or that we know more um, or that we're even the right people to speak it's to say that we can work with partners to create products that drive learning and dialogue, that the basis for any real systemic change is some shared understanding of what's there today. Um, and so, so again, because we're not super hung up on like the forms that the art or the design or that the, the media outputs take, um, it's, you, it's thinking about each of those things as a starting point for for, for dialogue and learning. Um, and that work then hopefully shapes what we think the conversation should be about. Um, and I think another dimension to that, uh, I think about um, the educator and writer and civil rights leader, Kalamu Yasalam, who, um, who is such an inspiration. And I think every time I have the chance to hear him speak about creativity uh, for him, it's so uh, like such a, it's, it's an, it's something that's alive. It's a practice um, that you just do. You just write because that's what you do. It's not, uh, I don't think he, he talks about it in a way that doesn't romanticize it, that doesn't glorify it. 
Um, it's something, it's an action, it's a verb. And I think of our relationship to creative activities in the same way that we're in the process of working, that every single day there are processes of planning and development and policy making that are shaping the world that we live in. Those have uh, inequitable or equitable outcomes and that the work of shaping the dialogue around that is also ongoing. Um, and so I think if we think about culture in terms of an image, a let's say a tourist oriented package of symbols and ideas and um, a, a, a tropes that you're trying to preserve, then, uh, then, 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 then the work we do is like beyond or counter to or, or different from. But if we see culture as something that's alive and we in doing the work that we do honor those that have come before us, um, look to learn from the processes that are already in place and see, understand that every creative, every uh, cultural practice, every creative process is in itself part of a larger context of social, economic, and political uh, processes and forces, then, uh, then we're, I, I don't see us kind of hopping out of um, a set of norms or we're, we're engaging, we're doing what creative people have, have always done, um, which is react to what's around, build on what's been done before, learn from what's been done before, but also to push towards new forms of communication that are relevant today that speak to as people change, as place changes, the environment changes, um, the our, each uh, each of us as individuals, we're constantly changing the communities we inhabit are, are themselves dynamic. So to me, it makes sense that the forms of communication that we avail ourselves of also adapt and shift if, if our goal is to connect and to move uh, and to move people. So um, actually, I was kind of, um, my mind had leapt ahead a little bit of what you were just saying, and, and you just walked right into um, my, the space that I was thinking in. Um, because, you know, my background, uh, in part, um, it's, it's varied, but one of the things that I did for many years is public relations. And so I've uh, worked in, in exactly the, the issue of communications and um, I mean, that is changing so dramatically. Uh, but right now we're sort of living in this limbo between the skeletons of the old communication systems and newer forms right now, primarily on online that um, I think I don't, I'm not a very I'm not a very sophisticated thinker about this, but I have kind of one foot in that new um, way of communicating and one foot in the old way. So uh, one of the reasons that I went into working on a nonprofit was to get away from PR because there were too many new ways of doing it that were 24/7, and I, I was you know I had a certain expertise in relationships that I had built over the years with people in the media and. Um, I didn't feel like I could serve a client quite the way someone of, um, who was more familiar with the newer forms. But the newer forms are not really there yet in terms of really being able to advance um, embracing big new ideas, I don't think. Maybe they are in some places. I don't sense it here in New Orleans. And at the same time, our traditional media has dumbed down to the point where, as I say, I can't, it's really hard for me to watch any local media or read the local papers because it's all sports and crime. And it isn't all sports and crime, but that is such a dominant um, uh, a feeling about what you, when you pick up the newspaper and the front page is always about football, even when the Supreme Court has just you know, told the Trump administration to stop this nonsense, <laughs> you know, and that's on page, I don't know what, they don't have that many pages left anymore, but um, the issue of communicating about change, new ideas, new ways of doing things, uh, you tell me, how do you see that developing to be more, effective 
And I raised an issue on today's call that only one person really responded to. And that was the question of um, how do we communicate with the 74 million people who either did believe or pretend to believe this alternate reality that the president was putting out? How do we communicate with those folks? We, we can't just ignore them. We can't just say they're terrible people. We have to understand what drove them to where they are and how to respond to that and so forth. So I'm talking for too long, but you see where I'm going. I'm, I'm posing the question of how do we do a better job of communicating with um, both the infrastructure, but also individuals who quite frankly, uh, some of them are suffering from and others are fi figuring out how to pivot the way you guys are. Is that question clear at all? I don't know. Jihad, you're, you're, you're muted. Sorry, still getting used to Zoom. Um, but yeah, I think that the answer is not quite concrete, right? Like, and I think that you can approach it from a lot of different ways. And so I don't know what the exact answer is, but I think that um, a starting place is, um, and, and is bringing back community and thinking about um, our neighbor and, and the ways that we interact with the people that live around us. Um, and so that's something that we really strive to be a part of and tuned into. Um, I think that, you know, some of the issues that you speak on about social media and, and the way that communications happen now is, is on a very surface level sometimes. Um, and, you, and I think that's in response to um, the way that we interact with communities, you know, uh, or the way that we interact with one another, which it sometimes can be really surface level and, and um, can lead to a lot of disagreements. And so um, I think that, you know, opening your doors and, and you know, like I, I, I've never experienced a time where you go to your neighbor for milk or something like that, right? But I think that these are um, community values that we've lost. Like your your neighbor doesn't. Um, I live in this apartment complex where you know no one really says hi to each other while we walk down the hallways. Um, and so I, I think that uh, that creates a lack of empathy. Um, and so I think that you know breaking down those walls of communication um, and then distilling them when you have so many different kinds of conversations and perspectives um, that can be valued. Uh, I mean, anyone can make a post and their um, opinion is it can, you know, be valued. And, um, and so I think that thinking about like the responsibilities that we hold within our own close knit communities is, is a it's one answer um, or one part of a, a much larger answer. Yeah, Aaron. Yeah, a couple of thoughts. One is, uh, the, and I'll, I'll speak back to a couple of the projects that we've mentioned earlier. So the mixed media effort um, was really an experiment. Um, the first mixed media project focused on incarceration and was in partnership with the Times-Picayune and and consisted of interviews of uh, formerly incarcerated people and, and their experiences both in prison and, and afterwards. And the artwork that was then created came out of that, that, that form of storytelling. And the artwork lived in not the kind of metro section, um, it was people presented as humans in the living section. Um, and it, it provides, a, I, I think, a different entry point uh, both the art and the content and the framing, all of it together says, this is a different way to engage um, people who are formerly incarcerated. Um, and, and so I think we're just scratching the surface. The, the, the mixed media, the second one was focused on uh, drainage pump stations and the people that operate them and consisted similarly of interviews and photography and, uh, and a kind of special print section, again, that went out in the Times-Picayune. So, so I think it's, it's, saying that um, there are certain ways, certain tried and true kind of ruts that we fall in for thinking about um, policy change. And uh, we think that um, that community aspect focusing on human experiences 
um, grounding that in research and, and science and data is important, um, but that through art, through storytelling, um, through connecting with humans, we can switch out of a mode of, uh, for example, in the city where we're experiencing flooding every summer, where people are trashing sewer and waterboard as a bureaucracy, um, as a faceless public entity. But when you start telling the story of the people that are at the pump stations 24 seven, the people who are there uh, manning the stations when a hurricane is coming in and everyone else is evacuating, um, the, 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 the middle-class jobs that Surgeon Warbord provides, all of that becomes perspective and knowledge that uh, the goal is to shape conversation. So we're talking always about humans and human experiences rather than just um, simplified um, policy points. But, um, but um, I, I, I totally uh, agree with you and hear what you're saying. And, um, but I'm concerned about the fact that uh, I, I think nine out of 10 or even 10 out of 10 of the young people who float through my shop because I am dependent on people coming out of school. Um, and to one, none of them read the paper. Um, and none of them even see television. So the, the question is that your approach is absolutely valid, but in terms of that having a, enough ripples to move a community, um, I'm sure you've been thinking about how to do that beyond being in the Times Picayune. Yeah, um, I think that's uh, that's a great point. And uh, even the mixed media project comes out of a long-running conversation with uh, with an editor at the Times Picayune, at the Advocate, um, talking about the kind of demise of uh, mainstream print media and and the challenges of of competing with uh, thinking about a model where clickbait. Uh, the crime stories, the football stories, um, generate more clicks and thus ad revenue than uh, than than a carefully multi-month investigated report about a critical issue. So, and that's a that's a I think Gene, that point that you're bringing up is super important. In a way, it's a bit of a design problem. You look at the homepage of uh, of any newspaper, and the format never changes. It doesn't reprioritize the graphics. Um, based on what actually is important. So there's a standard boilerplate format and you jam into that hour by hour, news story, news story, news story. So police report that's turned around gets the same graphic treatment as a story about um, a, a, a treasonous president, right? And those, there's, there's no equivalent there, um, but the design dumbs, the design is dumb and the graphic elements that are actually changing and catching your eye are the ads. And so there's a, there's, that, that basic model um, that's driving the kind of digital uh, media environment, um, we, we have to do better than that. Um, we have, and both economically and culturally and what that means for us, if that's how we engage news day in and day out and try to make sense of what's important and what's worth reading and listening to. And so you, I think you're totally right. Everything is fragmented on any given day you might um, see something on Twitter that links you to an article. You may see something on the side of the road. You might pick up a, 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 a an anti gravity, and 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 somebody sends you a, a, a Instagram post, and all that gets mashed together. And I think one of the conversations we're having internally at Civic Studio is how do we how do we fit within that environment? How do we not just become another entity that is adding and trying to catch? get get your eyeballs like trying to capture your attention like that's not a that's not a game we want to win um and uh and it's not a game that serves the public but what we can do i think is through projects like mixed media through projects like the water map effort um, we can start to think about what forms of media bring sustained value to individuals and to civic dialogue in their learning about the issues that matter most to them and their families and their neighbors. Um, and what are the forms of media um, that sustain you um, so that you can continue? And it's not just a matter of scattering your attention further and saying, pay attention to this, pay attention to that. Um, but rather, what are the things? And this is where the questions of how does art play into it? How does storytelling play into it? How do we create a new pace, a new rhythm 
And so I think one of our goals uh, is to actually rethink the homepage and rethink um, how people are engaging media on a day-to-day -day basis. Because the current mode, I think, leaves people frazzled, stressed out, anxious, uh, unsure of what they can and can't do, and kind of scattered between hyper-local uh, hyper reports and then things of global import. And all that gets mashed together and thrown at you from 20 different sources hour by hour if you, if you let it. Um, and I think that's, a, that's not a reality, I think, that is sustainable or, or bodes well for the future. Yeah, and also the other thing about the existing media patterns is that it is doing nothing. And this is why I raised the issue in the meeting today. It is doing nothing to open up dialogue. Again, it is so fragmented into, um, you know, your position. And, and uh, I mean, to bring it to an anecdotal level in my own life, I have a cousin who is a deep um, Trumpster and, uh, and I'm sending him articles from the New York Times that, you know, he says you can't believe a word in the New York Times. And I try to counter that, but um, it's not a real dialogue and it's, um, and there isn't very much real dialogue. And actually this is important and we can talk a little bit about this offline. Um, I'll have just a couple of minutes before I start my next, um, interview, but um, uh, I'm worried about, you know, trying to convey a message about the importance of the creative industries. And I've been at it for a while and, and don't feel that we've been all that successful in it. And that's one of the reasons why this is so important to me. Um, and, I, you know, I understand what you're trying to do with the water and with the um, criminal justice system, but uh, something uh, as on the face of it, theoretically, more obvious uh, in the importance of, of building our economy around the creative assets and talents of our people. Uh, it's been very hard to um, get that message across given the existing um, media format. So I, I welcome you all really zeroing in on this idea of how to do it in different ways. I have a kind of silly example that I just heard about recently, but I think it, uh, yesterday I heard about it. Uh, did you hear about the Black Santa event in a community? Either one of you? Vaguely, right. Okay, so um, I saw the story on the news. I, I do, I am a little bit of, I have been a victim in the past years or so of cable and watching, because uh, I think we're living through such an important historic era, I really wanted to understand it. So I've watched a lot of it. Um, so in a neighborhood, um, some folks put out um, uh, inflatable Christmas things on their lawn, including a black Santa, uh, which elicited a very ugly uh, response from somebody. Um, and uh, somehow that got communicated around the community. I'm not sure how. And then um, people from all over the community started putting black Santas out in the front of the yard. So I think that that was a messaging process that was very different from, you know, writing a letter to the editor and saying how terrible that person was who sent that ugly message, but doing something very um, uh, aesthetic, noticeable and homegrown out of, it was, I don't know exactly how it was organized, whether there was literally some little organizing group that put it together, but it seems like it was more amorphic. It was more um, organic rather. And I, I, I think um, maybe uh, events, that goes back to what you were saying about community and, and, and dealing uh, it from the community. I'm sorry, I've talked more in this uh, interview than I normally do and I apologize. And, and Aaron knows me well enough to know that I'm, I'm not afraid to, um, uh, to talk on. So I apologize. Uh, let me come back to um, some closing comments from you, because as much as I'd like to just talk for another hour with you, uh, maybe I'll come, have to come to some of your talks and, and, and listen. Um, but if you can share with me your thinking about how, what's, what's the next project, let's say, that you are thinking about that reflects the conversation we just had about how you want to uh, work with the city and your community and um, uh, uh, use your practice to uh, accomplish change. Yeah, I, and so 
I mean, we, we work on a lot of like, I think projects that, um, that will change perspective and policy. Um, and I think that all of us within Civic Studio and the beauty of Civic Studio is that we all have a different idea of, of how to come to this consensus, right? And so um, for, for me personally, I, I think that um, a big part of, um, of it is, is changing the way that the younger people and the way that the youth view media. Um, and it's kind of in, in their hands to shape the way that we um, understand the world around us, right? Like uh, so, sometimes, or in, in some ways, um, the, this younger generation might have a, a pulse on what these answers are and what, um, what systems will work for this new, um, for this new generation of technology and, um, and communication. Um, and so like, I, I think that having media outlets that you can trust is, is super important um, and media outlets that are adaptable to, um, to the communities is, is super important. Um, and so I, I want to push forward with a project and that I've spoken about a lot and I've started to put pieces um, together for, but a, a youth driven magazine that speaks to culture and sorry, there's like loud, uh, but yeah. So it's a, just like a, a magazine that speaks to community, that speaks to culture and that keeps in mind that, you know, a lot of times um, art reflects, reflects life and, and life also reflects art. And so um, that's such a strong place to start from. And so thinking, getting that perspective into, and that power um, back into the hands of people that might have these new ideas and perspectives, I think is really exciting for me, um, especially you know, thinking about the younger and younger generations that have, you know, that are really adept in, in communicating online and, and, um, and can push those, you know, those new ways um, of communicating back. But it, it, I think to, to me, it's about, you know, putting the power and giving them the confidence to, um, to really speak to issues and find solutions and knowing that the answer might not come easily, but if you start a conversation, then you could work towards it. Aaron? Yeah, I think a couple of quick points. One is that Civic Studio itself is a project. It's a thing that is in formation and, uh, and it's a group of about 15 people um, that are coming together on a weekly basis and in, in figuring out how to create this legal and business entity. And like a lot of different people in the world, we're, we're experiencing the, the joys and the challenges of um, mutuality and, and what it means to build stronger, more resilient networks at this moment in time. It's evident, I think, to all of us, the, the, the strength of, of the collective, uh, not just as a kind of buzzword um, or a cliche, but as something that like we can embody through how we set up our business accounts, how we um, work together, how we pay each other, how we work with our partners and our clients. And, and so I think that that's a huge learning process for, for all of us. Um, nobody in the group has themselves uh, set up a, um, a kind of worker on cooperative um, like Sam, from, from scratch before. So we're, we're learning together. Um, and then in terms of like the content, I, I would say there are two, two, two aspects, two kind of underlying principles that will drive our work moving forward. Um, I think Jihad's attention to who is speaking, who is creating the art, who is behind the camera, who is wielding the pen, that is a tremendously important question. And um, when we think about the inclusion of voices, it has to go deeper than, oh, we invited um, we invited a person of color to this convening or um, it, it's, it's actually who has the tools um, for developing and, 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 and sharing a certain narrative. Um, and, and I think that's, so that's a deeper form of inclusion that, that I think is absolutely critical. Um, another thing is um, 
so that that kind of lifting up of voices that aren't normally at the table, I think is a starting point for thinking about real systems change because if we're talking about the, the problem or the opportunities differently because a different person is holding the megaphone. Um, so when we look at media, when we look at social media, when we look at mainstream media, when we look at websites, um, books, blogs, all that, we're thinking about that in terms of how does each of those platforms um, shape, shape our consciousness um, and so who, who is behind those platforms and who has those tools to, to edit and to create. Um, and the second is we live in a city with, uh, what, what is it, like 1,800 nonprofits. And, and so each, each organization has an issue that they're working on. And, and we become more and more divided in what we can like devote our attention and our resources to. On Give NOLA Day, how many organizations do you, do you, do you contribute money to? And and, and, and holiday giving. And it becomes like this, everyone is fighting each other for a, a ever uh, shrinking slice of, um, of the public's attention um, and their resources. And so I think we, we really wanna work in a way where we're helping to connect the dots. Um, I think all of us would agree if you step back, we see that all these issues are connected, that race and equity and housing and transportation and economic development and workforce development and public health and sustainability and climate adaptation, they're all, um, they're all connected and they're all rooted in a couple, like a set of systemic issues. And that by kind of drilling deeper and, and developing forms of media that help people see those connections and to explore those connections, we actually make it easier for folks to engage um, all these issues rather than saying, having to pick and choose like, Oh, I'm I'm an environmentalist. I plant trees. That that's all I got time for um, this December. I can't also think about housing. I can't also think about uh, workers' rights or 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 immigrant rights. It's it's just too much. Um, and so that's that's really the environment in which we're we're trying to um, develop some new approaches. Is in this scattered, frenzied activity like activity where everyone's trying to get your attention, get you pay attention long enough to get you to click on something, donate something, do something, sign something. Um, what, what can we do to bring those things together and to, to foster our collective capacity to look at what's underlying those issues in the first place? Hi, I hope everybody is going to have a much better new year in 2021. I've got my fingers crossed, um, but I've got my eyes wide open. And uh, I think some of the things that you heard from Aaron and Jihad are important in, in looking at our future here in New Orleans. Um, but I also have a lot of comments that I have gathered from uh, folks from around the country, uh, as far as London and LA and, um, and a lot of people from right here in New Orleans. And um, I've asked them to say what their expectations or hopes or concerns are for the latter part of the year when we start emerging from the crisis phase of COVID-19. And I know that it's not gonna go away this year, but hopefully we'll move out of this crisis phase that we're in. So I'm wishing it be a great year for all of us. And I appreciate you listening. If you'd like to hear the comments that we have in our newsletter, just send me um, a, a notice saying you'd like to be added to the list and send it to jnathan.ci at gmail.com. So this is Jean Nathan for Crosstown Conversations on WBOK. Um, and this is being aired on New Year's Day. I'm recording it on New Year's Eve. Good luck for all of us. Should old acquaintance be forgotten and ever brought to mind? Should old acquaintance be forgotten?